Hey there, and welcome to the Crown Heights Insider Podcast. This is our very first episode, and we are so glad that you have chosen to trust us with your listening time. My name is Sean Bernemenov. I am the host of the Crown Heights Insider. This is a project of crownheights.info. This is an exciting time, Baruch Hashem. It's a launch of something new, something that we hope is going to be a project that will last for a while, that will make an impact, that will entertain, that will inform, that will inspire conversation, that will inspire debate, and most of all, hopefully, somehow, some way, inspire some positive change for us, for our community, for our families, for our institutions. I'm very excited about our very first episode featuring a longtime member of the Crown community, somebody who's involved in some of the things that, involved in the thing that matters to a lot of us. That's something that causes a lot of concern, a lot of questions, a lot of hopes, a lot of a lot of frustrations. Um, he has some insight about that. His name is JJ Katz. He is a real estate agent in our community, a longtime real estate agent, a broker, and he has some very insightful things, very interesting things to say about the state of the real estate situation in Crown Heights. We'll get to that interview really, really soon. But before we start, just some minor housekeeping. Um, to start, if you're hearing my voice right now, well, you've obviously figured out a way to hear the show. And whichever platform you use, whether it's Cranston Info, the website, where every episode of the Current Insider will be published, whether it's Apple, Play, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or Deezer or whatever you use to hear your podcasts, we'd greatly, greatly appreciate it if you went ahead and subscribed to the show. This helps us grow. This helps us know that we're reaching people. So please subscribe, please like, and please tell your friends and your family all about us. Assuming, of course, that you like what you hear in this very first episode. Uh, the Grind Insider is intended to be a interactive show. We want to hear from you. We want to hear from the people. We want to hear from the people of our community. We want to hear from the people of Lubavitch. We want to hear from anybody who happens to hear, sh- hear our show and has something they want to get off their chest, or something they want to share, a comment, a question, a correction. We're open to all of that. Amir Tashem, to wrap up every season, we are going to have a episode where we feature questions or comments that were submitted to us by the audience. And we're going to try to get our guests to answer some of the questions people had about their episodes. So if you hear an interview and it sparks a question or it sparks a comment or it sparks a complaint of some kind, please let us know. For now, the best way to reach us is to send an email to podcast at crownheights.info. And I will get that email and we will look it over and include it in that wrap up episode. We are working on getting a WhatsApp number as well that you can send voice notes to, and we will hopefully play those voice notes on the show with your permission. So without further ado, let's get to the reason you're all here. Our very first episode with JJ Katz. We are so grateful that he took the time to sit with us and here we go. Tonight we are very Glad to welcome to the podcast, to the Cronites Insider Podcast, JJ Katz. JJ has been a in real estate in the New York area for about 25 years, has been a broker in Crown Heights for 23 years. JJ, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. So let's jump right in. How's the real estate market these days? Um, the real estate market is hot. It's hot because there's it's all about supply and demand. And there's very little supply and there's Baruch Hashem, the community is growing and growing and leaps and bounds, and the demand is very high. So let's talk, if possible, you're not a census bureau, you're a real estate agent, but what would you say, how many available properties are there, are there at any given time in the Crown Heights market? 
And when, I, when we say Crown Heights, we're talking about, well, I guess we'll start with that. That's a better question to start with. Define Crown Heights. Somebody says they're looking for a house in Crown Heights. What so, does that look like today? So usually if someone calls, when, when someone calls me up and says, hey, I want to buy a house, you know, usually they're calling me, they're part of Anash and they're reaching out to me. And I won't ask them, do you want in Crown Heights, out of Crown Heights, Bush, you know, Bed-Stuy, Bushwick, East Flatbush. I'll just say, what are your parameters? And based on that, you know, I'll know if it's Crown Heights proper, as we call it, more as, not as I call it, as some people call it, or, or East Flatbush. Now, the community, uh, Baruch Hashem Kanahara, has grown like crazy in East Flatbush. Um, and at this point, I remember when people first started buying houses there, they still said Crown Heights. Where do you live? Crown Heights. You know, even though it was East Flatbush, now already they're calling it East Flatbush. The, it's its own thing now. It has its own right, shoals, it has its own grocery shoals. store. Exactly, exactly. Baruch Hashem. And it's good, it's good. Baruch Hashem. Yeah, it's beautiful. People People right. need somewhere to live. Right. Also, I don't know but uh, if, if you know, but I'm, I'm also a Hatzalah member. I've been in Hatzalah for 29 years. And one of the important things just to bring out, I know it has nothing to do with real estate, but we have Hatzalah members living in East Flatbush all around. We have paramedics, we have regular members. So now, the, so um, basically your area of coverage now extends to East Flatbush? East Flatbush, correct. All the way to Arlie Tarr. We wow. even have an ambulance parked there. You know, Termasifta down, down, all the way down Remsen. Remsen, correct. Beautiful. Baruch Hashem. Yes. That's wonderful. We keep, we, we, it's still the Rebbe Shechona. So then going back to the question I was starting to ask. Yes. So how many available properties are there at any given time on the market? And what's the price range of those properties? So it's hard to pick a number because it's constantly moving. And I don't really follow the graphics because it really doesn't make a difference. Sure, you so know? Let's, try, let's try a moment in time. Let's try right now. Let's say I was asking you, say, hey, JJ, I'm looking to buy a house. What's out there? Okay, so right now I have a few things in contract. I have a couple of houses, one house that I'm actively showing now, and I have two houses, hopefully, Hashem, coming on, you know, coming on the market very shortly. So those are your listings? And so your these things. are my listings. Um, there are... Many, if you go on Zillow, you can always uh, see what's out there on multiple listings. And obviously there are other brokers in, in the neighborhood also. You know, like I said, uh, when I started here uh, doing in Crown Heights real estate 23 years ago, I was the only broker actively working. There was there's another broker out there that, the, that did mostly rentals, uh, another person in the neighborhood that owned their own buildings and did their own, but didn't do other, you know, regular houses. And I think I was the first, or at least the first publicly, to put myself out there 23 years ago. Well, now everybody's uh, child, uh, son-in-law, daughter-in-law, cousin, uncle is doing real estate. <laughs> it's a popular <laughs> or At industry. least they call themselves doing it. I think most people who say they're in real estate, though, are really talking about apartment rentals. Yes, a lot of people are doing apartment rentals. Um, I do a little bit more of the higher-end apartment rentals. I'm not doing one and two bedrooms. Baruch Hashem, I'm busy without that. Also, originally, when I started, I was doing apartment buildings. I was doing one and two bedroom apartments. But since then, the owners of those buildings who are friends of mine, their children grew up and started working for them. So now they do it. They <laughs> took it over. <laughs> so what would you say are the price range on the available listings that you're dealing with that you think are? That, that so price range, again, it all depends on, on what year you're in. You know, if you're East Flatbush, if you're Brownsville, 
we also, by the way, we have a solo member who lives in Brownsville. Wow. Brownsville um, is uh, south and east, right? Of, uh, I don't have my compass <laughs> on me. And so it's let, very foggy go. out there right. tonight. I don't know if you noticed, <laughs> you know, from Canada, right. they the sent can- us the a Canadian gift. wildfires, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so let's say meaning towards east. Brownsville well, like is Pitkin east Avenue, past Pitkin, Pitkin Avenue, down Pitkin Avenue in that okay. area. Used to be a thriving Jewish community there. Back in the 50s. So, yeah, yeah before my time. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there's even Brownsville. So based on the amount you're looking to spend, that's, you know, that's the area, you know, if someone calls me up, says, Hey, I'm looking to spend 800 on a house, eight, 900 on a house, which is already getting harder to find at this point. Then they're really, you know, they're looking in East Flatbush, you know, in the, in Crown Heights, you know, proper area, you're probably looking anywhere again, depends on what block what size the house is, if you can extend it, build up, build, you know, build behind, uh, if there's parking, all these things you have to take into account. But you're talking anywhere from most probably realistically million seven, a million eight and up. Right. And beyond. <laughs> and what does that look like as far as condos, co-ops? So that's housing. That's right. I'm talking about housing. Uh, co-ops are a whole different animal. Right now, the only uh, large Jewish presentation, if you're looking for that in a co-op building, is at uh, 446 Kingston Avenue, right. corner of uh, Lefferts. I s- actually sold a number of units there, but I shy away from the co-ops. You know. a, lot of, a lot of headaches with boards and stuff. Exactly. I wasn't <laughs> going to say it, but you pulled it right out of there. <laughs> it's just a lot harder. You know, it, it's easier for a buyer if they just, you know, need right. something. You know, once they're in, you know, no maintenance. Uh, I mean, there's a maintenance fee, but no maintenance right. on their part. That's a little easier. Also, it's, it's, it's more affordable if you just need, you know, one or two bedroom. There are a few three, but mostly one and two bedrooms. So those are running, again, depending on how many square feet, or they don't call it square feet in co-ops. They call how many shares you have, you own. Right. So that can run anywhere. I don't know. I'm trying to think. The last one I sold, it was a couple of years ago. I sold, I think it sold in the mid-400s, if I remember correctly, and that was for a nice size two-bedroom. It's gone up. It's gone up. What hasn't? Uh, there was one in the 500s even. That was even bigger. But that's that's the price range in the co-ops. I mean, you could probably get a studio for three fifty, four hundred. Right. And then you go to condo. Condo is almost like houses. You know, it depends what block it's on, how many square feet it is, uh, how modern it is. If there's a tax abatement still on it, that's a big you know that's a big thing. And those also can range anywhere from. I sold a small condo, like a year and a half ago, for about I think it was about six hundred. Didn't come with parking, no backyard. It was a, uh, actually, no, it had access to a backyard, but it was small. And there's condos in 580 Crown. I sold for almost a million five not too long right. ago. There's one that just recently sold for that price. So they bounce around based on square right. footage and, and location, tax abatement, all those things. So actually, if you don't mind explaining the tax abatement, I've heard different things about it. The tax abatement essentially is that when a new building is constructed, there's no property tax for a set number of years? So it's something that the develop. it's 421A, it's, it's a complex situation. I don't fully understand it myself either. I just know the, uh, the uh, good part about it. You know, basically when a, a developer 
builds a building, he can apply, and there's a, a large fee that he pays to get at when 421A was in existence, where they would get a certain amount of tax-free. So you can apply for 10-year, 15-year, 20, 25-year, and the developer pays more per. And the reason why they did that was it was a big incentive for buyers. So you're able to maybe charge a little bit more for the apartment, and it was easier to sell because it was tax abated. Today, that doesn't exist. I don't know if I could put out plugs or anything for anyone, but someone built a building without the 421A on Albany Avenue, a very nice building, but they had a hard time selling the units because the tax, there was no tax abatement. So I think if I remember correctly, it was somewhere between 13 and 15,000 per unit per year real estate taxes. So basically taxes. Like, a, like a house, but you have More a than a house even. Wow. Because condos they charge, for some reason, the city charges more taxes for condos. Eventually he sold them because he paid, from, from what I understand, is that he paid for f- the first five years for everyone's taxes. I don't know if he took it off the price or right. how they worked it out, but... Th- but they've been sold. But they've been sold, yes. Okay. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. Okay, so that's, I guess, the basic overview. Oh, sorry, one last question as far as the basic overview. Mm-hmm. Uh, when people buy houses in our, in our community, how much money would you say they're putting into construction after buying it? Again, every house is different. For sure, but I'm saying like <laughs> a lot of the houses are, are being bought in not great condition. Right, so I'm not a contractor, and I'll always tell someone to bring in a home inspector or bring in you know, someone that they know that they can trust as a contractor. It all depends, you know, if the house needs a gut job, and people define that differently. You right. know, a gut job really means gutting the entire house, the floors, changing the beams, that's a gut job. Sometimes a house doesn't need that, just needs new kitchens, new bathrooms, and a paint job. You know, so everything varies on the condition. You know, sometimes you get a house, you buy a house, and the owners, the sellers, the previous owners, they just kept it, you know, it's not modern, it's not fancy, it's old, but they kept it in good condition. The bones are good whenever they need to upgrade the plumbing, they upgraded it, they upgraded the electric, they fixed the roof. You know, you could still keep a house in good condition and just end up doing cosmetic work on it. Right. So the amount it'll cost to fix it up is based on that. Sure. But and that can run anywhere from, from $100,000 and up. But let's talk up. Let's say people are doing a full, a full renovation. They got to do almost a gut job. What does that run? So again, I'm not a contractor. But, <laughs> so, but you know numbers. You've heard numbers. Yeah, but I've heard different numbers. Sure. You know, you have the contractor that, again, it also depends. It goes on square footage too. So For if sure. the house is a 40-foot long house, and you want to gut the house and versus a 60-foot long house, it's going to cost a lot more, even if you're doing the same exact thing. Right. Because it goes by square footage. So that all depends on the square footage. But once upon a time, you were looking at gutting a house, you know, I don't know, three, 400, once upon a time. And now to gut a house, you know, it, it could be a million dollars and up even. I mean, they say the, the three most expensive words in construction is might as well. Because every time you're doing something, right. oh, you already opened the ceiling, you might as well do this. You open the wall, you might as well do that. You're changing the floor, you might as well do that. And before you know it, something that your original quote was 350000 is now 500000 600000 Got it. Okay. So thanks for that general overview. And we're not holding. We're not going to hold you to any of these numbers. Yeah, we're not don't hold me you. to anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is <laughs> disclaimer. Did sure. you read it on the bottom of the screen? <laughs> yes. So this is your back of the envelope math, your recollections, your, yes. your what, what yeah. you've seen in your, over the last couple of years. So, you're from what from what you're saying, 
a the average family, a couple that's looking to buy a home in the Crown Heights area, is going to be paying a million dollars to two and a half to three million dollars. Right, it depends where, but correct. Got it. Now, even if everyone in our neighborhood had that kind of money, that wouldn't solve the problem because there just aren't enough. I'm properties. working on it myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. It's a shame for everybody. <laughs> it's a shame. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so meaning if everyone, if, if everyone in the community tomorrow morning magically woke up with two million dollars in the bank account, right? They still wouldn't all be able to buy a house here because Correct. there aren't enough property. We're just Correct. all how prices of the houses would just go up we'll to five keep million. Going up more. Correct. So we're we're facing a, a serious supply problem. Right. My question is why? And obviously there's a thousand different answers to that, but I'll start with just when you walk down the streets of Crown Heights and the Brush and I'm married and you know, I'm now I now pay eighteen hundred dollars for a one bedroom apartment, Baruch Hashem. And you look around and you and you think about you want to live in Christ in the future. What's that going to look like? You start you start noticing things you didn't notice before. Twenty three years ago, I was renting one bedrooms for six hundred. <laughs> <laughs> the hurts. same one that you're paying. That eight. hurts. I, so now I notice things I didn't notice before, and I think that a lot of people do that. A lot of people don't notice it until it becomes their problem. And now you walk around, and you think to yourself, "What are my chances of ever owning one of these houses?" And one of the things you do when you walk down the streets is you notice which houses have mezuzahs and which ones don't. And there are hundreds of houses that don't have mezuzahs on the door in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. The question is why those houses just aren't for sale in your experience. Like obviously there are people there with people with lives and communities and stories, but you would think that who, who, who are these people who can say no to $2 million in your experience? How hard is it to generate a new property for sale on the market? Well, you want to know why everyone isn't selling and running away? I mean, is that what you're asking? I'm not running away, but someone keeps, you know, I assume people are knocking on their doors and offering them a million dollars cash, 1.5 million cash. Well, no one knocked on my door yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, you have to understand also people, you know, say, say a person who's living here for 50 years already, right? They're right. older people. And that's your question. Like, why don't they, they could, they bought their house for $15,000, $20,000, you know, in the right. 1960s, let's say 1970s, $25,000. And I'm going to offer you $2 million. You know, let's just say they don't have a mortgage and they didn't take out money on the house or anything. I can't say this is the reason. I'm just contemplating. Listen, first of all, for all I, I know when I when I work with people, someone will call me, an older person will, will call me up, um, Zikne Anash, you know, right. call me up and say, <clears throat> you know, I want you to sell my house. And I'll go through a whole process with them. Do you have a place to go? What's your plan? I don't just grab the listing and say, hey, great, I got a listing on sale. Why do you want to sell? You know? And... A lot of times they say, you know what, I was thinking to sell then, but people are afraid, a lot of older people are afraid of change. They're afraid to move. I had people tell me, I want you to sell my house. I don't need it anymore. All my kids are married. They're on shlichus. Um, find me a condo or a co-op or I'm downsizing or I'm moving somewhere else. Um, but, you know, most of the time they want to stay in the neighborhood and they want to stay literally in the same like block where they are now. Why? Because... The grocery, where, the, the, right, the grocery where they are, their shul is where they are, their shares where they are. They can't walk up Kingston Avenue anymore because they don't have the strength or whatever other, other reasons. And that's where they're comfortable. And it's very hard for older people. I know because I'm getting older. <laughs> <laughs> you know, older people, they don't like change. They're afraid of change. So to go to someone who's living in a house for 50 years and saying, 
hey, I'm giving you $2 million, you know, you know what you can do with that? And they're like, right, but where am I going? You know, right. this is what I know. I know Crown Heights. This is my community. You know, this is where my shul or where, wherever I go, you know, to pray. And this is, you know, this is where I shop and these are my restaurants. Yeah, that makes sense. So it sounds like a one possible answer to that question for those people would be if there was a good supply of condos available to move into, they could downsize into in their neighborhood. So not everyone, I mean, one of the things I was telling developers years ago when Lefferts Avenue was still full of, you know, those little houses, and I've sold a lot of those properties that there are condo buildings there now. But when I used to speak to the developers and I used to tell them, I say, listen, we need like a building, make it just two bedroom condos, decent sized two bedroom condos for older people that would sell their house you know, put it, whether you want to put a shul on the first floor, maybe even a mikvah, and, and make it accessible for, for older people. They sell their house, they can move in, and there's a second bedroom that, you know, that their, you know, one of their kids could come or guess for a Shabbos or, you know, they need an aid or something, you know, everyone should be well and healthy, but just in case, it's a two bedroom and, you know, and it's easier for them and no one wants to do it. <laughs> I want to. I thought it was it was a great idea. I think you it's know, a great idea too. So whenever they build these buildings, even five eighty crown, there's there's minimal minimal two bedroom apartments. So that leads beautifully into the next question: Is where is the development to, to meet, meet the demand? I mean, obviously there's, there's difficulties with getting permits, there's difficulties with zoning and all that. But for example, unless I'm, unless I'm mistaken, could be I'm mistaken. I'm very happy to be corrected. Most of Empire Boulevard is zoned right now today for building six floor buildings. Most of it is, a lot of it is R7, R6 and R7 zones, so yeah. correct. So my question is, I mean, I know <coughs> Empire Castle went up on, on Empire between Albany and Troy. Yeah, that's a sore subject for I'm me. sure. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know about <laughs> no, that No, no, it's, it's a sore subject because there was a Hasidish guy trying to buy it, and there was a different broker involved. And I sold, this Hasidish guy, I sold him a property. I dealt with him previously and he reached out to me and he told me I'm trying to buy this property so when he brought it up to me I mentioned to him that there's a large need in the community for nice size apartments and that I'd be more than happy to help him if he would be willing to do that for the community to help the community you know condos and he promised me and to make a long story short so I helped him out I didn't make a penny from it I helped him out and then I'll skip a big part of the story where someone else got involved after he bought it and just threw a terrible idea in his head and which was and I told him it's a very bad idea and because of that he waited and waited and waited and then the tax abatement ended then he was stuck in a situation because building without a tax abatement you know you're stuck and he had to take in another partner and he took in another partner, and that other partner came in to build rentals. Small and rentals. Small rentals. That there are some hidden living in there, but he basically built it. You know, they did, what do you call it, low-income housing in there and everything. And basically, it was, it's very upsetting. But uh, go back. <laughs> <laughs> no, so that, that building is personal for me, too, because my grandfather and my grandmother, my grandmother, Lashaw, my grandfather, live a few, few, few doors down from there. And when the building was going up, they came, the developer, maybe it's the same guy, came by, talked to my grandparents. He wanted to buy the property, their, their house. Right. And he promised my grandfather that he was going to build for Jews, only Jews. Yeah. Uh, only Yiddin. So um, you feel me. Yes, I do. <laughs> but 
these issues are only such an issue. Every build, a building like that would be such a sore subject because there's only one. What if there was 20 of them? What if there mm -hmm. was 40 of them? What if there was, you know, half a million more square footage of, of, of housing in this neighborhood? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can, even if half of that is small apartments for yuppies, that still means a lot of housing for, for, our, for our community to grow into. So my question is, what is the development climate like now? And how has it been for the last five years that has prevented this development from happening? Because there's a so, clear demand for it. Right. So, so, we're, so why didn't the supply show so, up? So the answer to that is, at this time, for it doesn't make sense. The numbers don't make sense. Construction costs since COVID has skyrocketed. Land has skyrocketed. And when you add up the numbers, what you're paying for the land, then building construction, you're really not making any money by building anymore. So okay. that's it. There's just no development. There's no, the, the only person developing, I don't know if I could say names again. Well, I'll say names, you know. I know like uh, Rabbi David Fisher. He's the only one that's been building, you know, for the community lately. He's the one who built on Albany Avenue. And he's building another building now. I'm, I'm assuming, again, just assuming that the way he does it is he's, he's using his own money. So he's not taking out loans, so it's much cheaper. You know, it's not someone else taking out loans. He's, he's using his own money or he has a partner in it that's using. Basically, the money is cheaper for him. That's how it can right. only make sense. The money to use is cheaper for him than it is for someone else. And probably the development, too, because he does it himself, you know, versus someone else contracting it out. So you're saying there's simply the model of borrowing money to buy a property, borrowing money to finance the construction, the numbers just don't add up anymore. Correct. I mean, I had somebody who even, someone who owns a property in this community, a large property, a few things on it, but he had an option to get it all vacant and he wanted to develop it. And I brought him to a seasoned developer that I trust and we sat and the developer showed him, now this guy owns the property, free and clear, no mortgage. He's not buying the property I'm building. Right. And the developer showed him that after he puts up the building that he wants to do, he's only going to make 3.5% on his money. Meaning the cost of the construction. Right. After he right. pays for the construction, you know, and even takes out a mortgage afterwards, you know, that's what a lot of people do. They take all the money they put in, then they refinance and get, you know, that money back. But you still then have a mortgage to pay. So there's a percentage you're making after you make your payments. And he was making 3.5% which is very low. And I was very shocked to hear that too. And I asked the, the developer, I said, so I don't understand something. Here's a guy who owns the property free and clear and you're telling me he's making three and a half percent on his money. How does someone go and buy a property? All these developments that's going on, even in our community, on Hawthorne, on Fenimore, on all these buildings going up and you know, on Empire Boulevard, how do people make money? And he told me they don't. He said they don't. They don't realize it till later. Some people, they need to get rid of money because for them it's more of a tax thing, so that's why they do it. Like the Plex on Nostrand Avenue, B&H, the owners, owners of that and many other buildings. A lot of the buildings they do, they don't see money. To, I'm, told, I'm told, I don't look at their books or anything, <laughs> but I'm told that they don't see any profits till five, ten years later. But for them it's a tax write-off. So. so that answers the question of why no development is happening now with the current climate, the Correct. housing costs, the, the, the property costs, the construction costs. I'm sure there's regulatory hurdles to, I'm sure zoning is difficult. I'm sure permitting is difficult. I'm sure there's a lot of issues. But let's maybe rewind to 15 years ago. We were a growing community then too. 
and there was a housing pinch then too. It wasn't as extreme as it is now, but you couldn't buy a house 15 years ago if you were a young couple. So 15 years ago, if my math is correct, was 2008. Yeah. <clears throat> 2008 was the market crash. I actually remember at that time I had a house that was very expensive. I don't remember the block it was on. Could be it was maybe Montgomery and Troy or Albany and Troy or I don't know. It was somewhere in, in the zone and we were asking 975 and people said 975? Are you crazy? That's a million dollars. Who's paying a million dollars for a house in Crown Heights? Okay, so then, then the market crashed. I think we ended up selling it for about nine and a quarter. You know, that's how it crashed in Crown Heights. Right. You know, it was 9.15 something. It was a little over 900,000. But then look what happened after that. So why couldn't people buy then? I don't remember why. People no, so were buying. People were sure. always buying. Listen, so the, the I paid buying. my my <laughs> tuition, so people bought houses, you know. <laughs> so you're saying there was activity, but it wasn't. Like today, right. I don't. I don't remember it. I think sure. today has been. If I, if I can remember, today's been the worst it's been with supply and demand. There has been sometimes that the supply was not high at all, um, but I think this has been the worst. The worst of it that right. I've seen so far that I can remember. Right. I mean, during COVID, nothing happened. You know, we all went back to Kylo. You know, <laughs> but there was nothing going on. People right. weren't selling. People weren't letting people in their house. It was like a dead market. But then it exploded. It exploded. And it's very interesting how, you know, again, supply and demand or, you know. People need space. Mashiach because, no, but the interesting thing is that the feds raised the interest rates in order to kill the market. That's one of the things. They wanted people, right. why they raised the rates? So people stopped spending money because inflation. And it just didn't help in a lot of areas. I think COVID made people realize they just couldn't live in a two-bedroom right. apartment anymore. They need space. Three-bedroom, like it just wasn't going to cut it. They needed a backyard. Yeah. They needed space. They needed mm -hmm. sunlight. They needed a porch. But to go back to the question I started asking, um, the, the the supply of houses is a fixed thing. There's within the area of Crown Heights, there's only so many houses and a certain number of them come in the market every year and that's it. The answer to fitting more people into a given space is always building up. It always has been. It always will be. My question is, 15 years ago, you had hundreds of mid-40s people starting to marry off their children. Was there ever an awareness in conversations you were having with owners, developers, buyers, that where are my kids going to live? Never? Like no, never any it thought given to like maybe some, maybe, maybe some kind of, maybe there has to be a community-wide effort to develop a future well, a housing supply for our community? So... There was talk many, many years ago, and I, I don't remember what year it was, but I remember, I guess you'll edit this out if I can't say it on uh, Levi Kharkov, Shmeis. Yeah. <laughs> sure. That part you'll edit out, but <laughs> I can say there's Levi, Levi Kharkov, I remember, I believe it was him. Levi Kharkov was trying to, because prices were so, quote unquote, so high then, he was trying to make a new community and he was, I think, working with Agudas Yisrael of America or something that was trying to build up the sea slash mill basin area. And they were doing tours of the neighborhood and showing where, you know, where the few shoals were and, and where houses were for sale and bringing people to buy the houses. And at that point, I think, you know, not Muncie or Monroe, but there were other like outside neighborhoods that were starting also from other Hasidim. So Levi, if I remember it was him, I believe so, 
was trying to say, why can't we do that? Why can't Lubavitch also start a community somewhere not too far? Canarsie, Mill Basin's not too far. We can go there, we'll buy up 20, 30, 40 houses, and it's more affordable. But it just didn't fly. Nobody wanted to leave Crown Heights. Because you want to, if you want to be in Crown Heights, you want to be in the Rebbe Shkona, you're just going to be here. Whether it's because your parents live here or this is just where you want to be. I mean, sure. a lot of people's parents don't live here and they want to live here and they're buying houses here. Right. But I'm asking, did people not look around and think to themselves, in 10 years I'll be in my 70s and I'll be living in this house? And my kid's going to live in a two-bedroom apartment somewhere. They're going to live in Kingston. They're going to live in wherever other, whatever the options were 15 years ago of moving out of Crown if you couldn't afford to buy a house here. Mm-hmm. Kingston didn't, didn't uh, exist back then. Well, well, it existed, it but not as a community. Yeah, that is a community. <laughs> not a Chabad community. Yeah. There was just, you're saying that as far as you can recall, there was never been I don't think people a, were thinking that. I mean, I wasn't. Are so people thinking like, that now? Of where are people going to live? Yeah, well, people are talking it now because prices are just exorbitant. And that, well, if you look at it, a lot of people moved out of Crown Heights a ton. Know, through yeah, COVID, sure. you know, whether it was COVID related or just that was finally the excuse that they needed because yeah. they lost their job or even if they had their own business because of COVID, the business just came to a dead end. So a lot of times what, when people want to move, you know, what are they thinking? They think, OK, I have to move where there's a yeshiva, where there's a mikvah, you know, is a shul that I can dive in with and where there's panasa. So let's just take, for example, Florida. Okay. You know what? Let's not even go so far for Florida. Let's just go to Kingston, Pennsylvania, okay? My daughter lives there. It's a flourishing community. They bought a house there before COVID. I don't remember the numbers. I think there was maybe 75 to 100 families, not even 100 families when they bought a house, and it's doubled already, wow. okay? There's also a supermarket there, full kosher supermarket, deli, pizza shop. There's three shoals there now. There was one small shoal there when they moved there. Now there's three shoals, and one of them is a brand new building. So when someone now says, okay, you know what? I want to buy a house. I cannot afford in Crown Heights. I can't even afford East Flatbush, okay? Kingston is a beautiful place to live. It's only a three-hour drive, so it's three hours is long, but I don't have to get on a plane for a simple I could come in to go to the oil. I could just come in, you know, it's a full day event, but I could do it. Um, houses are still, you know, relatively cheap. But there. even their houses have doubled. Right. But they've doubled from 250 to 500, right? 250 to 500 or bigger house, 300 to 600. Also, right. depending on which there's different sections there also, but that's still so you get a big, you know, house there for 500, even 600, where over here you get a little, you know, small two by right. two and he's flappers for that price. So there's, there's yeshiva, there's shul, there's school, you know, there's mikvah, there's everything. But what about Parnassah? So a lot of people that move there, to my knowledge, unless they're working in the shchuna, whether they're a teacher or, you know, or doing a job in the shchuna, they all have, you know, remote uh, jobs. Remote jobs. So that's what people think about. So back then, 15 years ago, there was no such thing as a remote job. Even before COVID, really, there was remote was, you know, people were playing with it. Google was playing with it. You know, all these companies were doing their numbers. If we let you work at home, we'll try this. We'll see what kind, you know, if we get a better output from our, you know, from our uh, workers, if they work at home. Um, But then when COVID came and people saw 
how well they did with that and that it actually, they were forced to do it and it worked. So now it became a thing to work, to work remotely. Right. So, I mean, there's, that's, uh, you, you mentioned a really big limiting factor in all these communities for Kingston, for Houston, for Phoenix, for, for the 14 different places in Florida. Correct. Everyone says Florida. There's, there's only 14. <laughs> there's so many different neighborhoods and cities in Florida people are moving to. Cleveland, people are moving everywhere. But there's a limiting factor for a lot of people. A lot, a lot of people can't, don't have a remote job, aren't, aren't starting their own business. Hi. It means they're stuck here. And they're going to be stuck here living in a two-bedroom, three-bedroom, paying $4,000 a month for... So I guess something has to give. Or... Are we well, looking they, at a future? I should send them a lot of panasa. But like we I'm discussed, very happy, happy when people make money. I'm, I'm very happy It's a beautiful for thing. It's a beautiful Hashem, thing. It helps yeah. our community tremendously. Every, every new gvira means that a new institution can, uh, you know, can thrive and, 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 and take off and do, good, do great things. Um, new shluchim can be supported. It's a beautiful thing. But like, like we mentioned, <clears> even if every person in Quran woke up tomorrow with $2 million in the bank account, it wouldn't solve the problem. Correct. So the question really is just a question of supply. And I'm, I'm sorry if, I'm, if I keep digging at this because you don't, you know, this is not... I don't control the supply. You, know, you know that. Of course, you know, I'm just I'm like, one second, let me check my pocket. <laughs> oh, wait, there is, there is a house in there. But is, what, is, what would it take for the community to sort of start organizing and doing something about this? There is political things we could talk about. There is pooling finances to build differently. What's it going to take for people to try to avoid a future where Crown Heights is singles living in basements and bubbies and Zadies? So I think there's a much bigger picture to that question, which is more politically uh, involved, and I'm not going <laughs> to touch that at all. Copy. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Okay, so then let's, let's, I guess, backtrack a point we mentioned earlier about development being built and not being built for, for Jewish tenants at all. For, there's not mm -hmm. being built for two sinks. Tiny bedrooms, tiny living spaces, squeezing three bedrooms into something that should be a one-bedroom space. All the all the tricks of the trade that you've seen <laughs> in a lot of the new construction that's gone up. Who are people developing this? Who are the people making these decisions and developing it? And why are they making these choices? Is it you're saying it's purely a numbers game? They can't afford to do it otherwise. So, take an example. Now, I'm not happy with this. I just want to make that clear, <laughs> especially there. Most of them are people from other neighborhoods that come here. They won't do it in their own neighborhood, so they come here to do it. And, and nobody puts up a fight against it. But that goes to the political part. Right. <laughs> that being said, it's all the numbers game. In other words, let's, let's just say you can put up, you buy a 40 by 100. Let's even make it simple. You buy a 20 by 100, 2,000 square foot property. It's R6 zone, wide street. You could build three times the square footage. You could build 6,000 square feet, okay? So there are laws. You can't build it all the way to the end. There's a certain amount of setbacks, of setbacks that you have to leave. So let's say you're going to build a 20 by 60, let's just say, 20 by 60 building. That's 1,200 square foot of floor, okay? So you know, let's make, to make the property a little bigger to make it even. Let's say you could build 20 by 70, okay? 1,400 square foot, okay? So here's your choice. I could put up, uh, I'm going to put up a, say a five-story building, I could put up five nice size three-bedroom apartments, you know, 1,400 square foot. Obviously, you have to take some off for a staircase elevator, but let's say 1,300 square feet, I could squeeze in there a three-bedroom apartment, okay? How much can I get for rent for it? You know, you, you make that cheshbin, so, you know, five apartments times this amount rent, that's your rent. 
Or I could double that. Okay, let's let's just say for argument's sake you can get uh, three thousand dollars an apartment. I'm just for, making for, up, for a three bedroom. I'm just making up a number. Sure. Okay, let's say you get three thousand dollars for an apartment for a three bedroom, but you can get eighteen hundred for a one bedroom. Okay, so if now you could build two one bedrooms per floor, and now you're going to get thirty six hundred a floor, times five floors is six hundred more. That's an additional three thousand a month that you're going to be getting. So you're going to choose to do that because financially that makes more sense than doing it the other way. So that's how they make their cheshman. Now, if you're building for, for Anash, so you need two sinks, a little bit more cabin, you know, cabinets, a little bit more counter space, a master bedroom that you could fit you know, two, two beds, beds in, right? not one bed. So you need a bigger apartment for the same one or two or three bedroom versus building for yuppies or you know, non-Chabad or non-Jewish or non-from people, whatever it may be. We don't discriminate on anybody. <laughs> um, you just need one sink, a little bit counter space because there's no separate Milchik's Fleishik's, and smaller bedroom. It's only one bed going in there. You get a lot more for your square footage because the apartments are smaller and they're paying the same amount or more rent. Got it. It's just simply a math equation. Correct. And I'm not saying it's right, <laughs> but that's how it's done. Yeah. But is it to a point where they can't, you, you laid out two options. Option A, you know, five, three bedrooms. Option B, 10, one bedrooms. Mm -hmm. Is it to a point with the cost of property and the cost of construction that it's literally, you're going to lose money on, with going option A? Or is it that you're just going to make less money with going option A? So... You have to speak to the developers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, losing money is a very tricky thing to say. You know, if, if someone could sell a product for $5, okay, he pays $2 for it and he sells it for five and, and you're going to buy 20 of them from him and you're trying to negotiate with him and you say, you know, I'll pay you, you know, $3 and he'll say, uh, I'll give it to you for three fifty, but at that I'm losing money. Is he really losing money? No, but he's making less. So define losing money. Making right. I mean, yeah, if you, if you compare how much money you're making to like some theoretical return but, on but your I, money. But I think, right, but a return on the money, but, but there's what you're supposed to make also. And that's really not my department. But if let's say, let's just say by throwing numbers, uh, someone who builds up a building, they need to make, I don't know, you know, a cap rate of five and a half percent. Define cap rate for our non-real estate audience. It's basically return... It's a way to figure a return on your money, okay? So, so let's say your return at is going to be 5.5%, okay? But building it a different way, bigger apartments to house the neighborhood, his return will only be 4%. So it's a math thing. I'm not putting all this money and all this time and effort and headaches and everything just to make 4% because to build a building, I make 4% that's considered losing money. You need to make at least five or five and a half percent. To justify your time to investment. Just, exactly. And to, to, to make the banks look at it as an attractive Correct. deal. Well, okay. the banks have to finance, finance it too. Right. And they have to prove that. And if they're going to see a low return, they're not going to approve it. You won't get financing. Right. Okay. This was a very uh, <laughs> um, frustrating but illuminating conversation. Not frustrating because you're frustrating because reality can be well, frustrating. Well, it's frustrating for the community. Yeah. I see it all the time. I have people call me all the time and, and 
you know, I have people come to my office and, you know, if I can help them out to figure something out. And it is frustrating because of that. And I know it myself too. You know, for my children getting married that can't afford to live in Crown Heights. So I wish I had an answer. I mean, Mashiach, you know, whoever yeah, said Mashiach came already, we just have to open our eyes. So, so I think we should get, get to work doing that. Because this a, is yes, a, it's, it's, <laughs> it's work. It's a lot of work. This reality is very frustrating. Yes. Anyways, JJ, thank you for your time. Thank you my for pleasure. thank you for answering all my uh, uh, annoying and, and uh, twisty questions. No, this has actually been fun. Okay, good. I'm glad. I think we'll um, do this again if, yeah. we get, if, if we see the numbers of listeners. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Merz Hashem. <laughs> okay, so thank you so much for your time. I really, my really pleasure. appreciate it. And Hatzlacha Rabba. Thank you so much. Hatzlacha to you. A big thank you again goes to JJ Katz for agreeing to sit with us. And that was I had a well. As you can hear in the end, I, I was that conversation frustrated me, but it's it's frustrating because, well, not JJ's fault at all. It's frustrating because the situation is frustrating. As you heard me mention, I'm a young married person myself, and well, it's hard. It's it's hard to look around and and try to imagine how you're going to be able to make it work, um, to possibly live in this place that you love, the place where you grew up, the place where you where you would love to raise a family. But maybe when you know more about the problem we can start thinking about solutions. And I hope that somebody somewhere who hears this podcast has an idea or two on how to solve the problem. So that's that for episode one. Really excited, again, to finally have this off the ground. It's been a long time in the planning, a long time in the making. And if you enjoyed, again, I hope you subscribe. I hope you download the episodes. I hope you rate us and like us and all the various platforms. And if you have some thoughts, if you have questions, comments, or concerns, I hope you reach out to us. Email address, again, is podcast at crownheights.info. We are looking forward to hearing from you. And I guess with that, we're ready to wrap up. That was fun. Episode one. Much more coming soon. Stay tuned. Next week, Wednesday, same time. And we will see you then. Thank you for listening.